I, I want to recognize that today is the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. That, for a lot of us, is so far from our thoughts, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to hold them dear. There are Christians that are struggling and suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, even this morning, that it is a great risk for them to meet as we are meeting, for them to worship the name of God as we're worshiping. They are putting their lives in danger on a regular basis, and not just the fact that they want to worship God, but they are being faithful to the Great Commission. They share the word, they share the gospel freely with people who will receive, and those who don't, report them. And they receive more persecution. But they don't back down. They take the command of Christ to go into the world and preach the gospel very seriously. We have an opportunity to join together in prayer for our Christian brothers and sisters who've given up their rights for safety, for protection, in order to advance the gospel in places of hardship and extreme persecution. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Christians in Iran risk their lives to place God's word in the hands of the unreached. In Central Asia, another part of the world, we see faithful Christians who are giving God's word to everyone they meet, including secret police. Recently, a group of Ethiopian Christians baptized former Somali Muslims in the backyard of a church building that used to be a brothel. They are making inroads and they are impacting the world that they live in. If only America and the Christians of this country could wake up enough to join them in the sharing of the gospel. It's not by chance, church, that we've been in the book of Acts and that prior to that we were in the gospel of Matthew to learn from King Jesus what we are to be about as his subjects. We want to pray this morning that God's word would be distributed in the most difficult places of the earth. It would lead many to Christ. I have a friend who used to travel over into China, just over the border. He would bring as many suitcases as he possibly could, loaded down with Bibles. And when he would cross over into China, as soon as he crossed over in, the, in a main city, he would open up the suitcase and the people would flood him, hands reaching over others trying to get their hands on a Bible. Hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to pray also that those who are receiving God's word would come into the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to see the gospel and they would be saved. We need to pray for the safety of these new believers who face immense persecution from their families, from their workplace, from their communities. In countries where you have Hindus, you have Muslims, they are persecuted for abandoning their faith and coming to Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray that we in America would be awakened from our slumber and walk in obedience to Christ along with our brothers and sisters who are witnesses every day in every sector of their lives. May we be a witness in every sector of our lives. Let's pray that in hearing about our brothers and sisters around the world who put their lives on the line every day for the sake of the gospel, that they might encourage and challenge us to stand up for Christ in our broken and fallen culture. By the way, many of our brothers and sisters are praying for us in America. They see the spiritual ineptitude. They see the spiritual slumber. And they feel led of the Lord to pray for us that we would awaken. Finally, let's pray for those who will hear God's redemption story this week as you and I are faithful to share the gospel with them just as our brothers and sisters are doing in other lands. Let's pray together. Father, we take this moment to recognize, to draw our attention to your servants, our brothers and sisters across the earth who today are facing trial and struggle and persecution, yet they will not relent. They will not stop sharing the gospel. They are still standing when others are walking away. We pray for their safety. We pray for their protection. But more than anything else, we pray for the effort that they're putting in and the result of salvations that they will see. We thank you that the church in the world is growing exponentially. We thank you for this positive encouragement which challenges us to do the same. I pray, God, that each person here today would only think about their brothers and sisters in Christ before they pray and ask you, Holy Spirit, to guide them. Lord, may this week be a life-changing, transformational week for Christians. May we begin to share Christ. May we begin to open up and let the Word of God flow out of our mouths. May we not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said it's the power of God to those who believe. May we walk in that passage. And we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us in that moment. Very important. Well, we take our Bibles and we can go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. But before you go there, or go ahead and turn, but go ahead and put a finger in Acts 5 and then turn to Galatians chapter 6. I want to be there just for a moment to really set up where we're going for the next few minutes. And I know we're getting a late start, so this will be an abbreviated sermon. But uh, let's go ahead if we can. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul who is writing a letter to the church in Galatia that would be in Asia Minor. And so this is a pagan culture that the church is functioning in in Galatia. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ regarding bearing one another's burdens? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus called us to bear one another's burdens. You know, we're doing that in numerous ways here at Bureau Bible. We uh, reach out to, this is more outreach, but we reach out to the school here at Storm Grove and we provide money for children who can't afford to have a meal. We also provide clothing for those, especially in the winter. They like the, the uh, certain clothing that they wear and we, we provide, the school provides that. They purchase them for the kids. We also have the opportunity to bless Angela Fouts uh, her husband, Jeff, a little over a year ago, lost his life to cancer. He is now in glory with God, and yet he and Angela served faithfully here at the church, and she's left with three small children. Asher was dedicated this morning to the Lord, and we have opportunity to present her with a love offering this 1st of December. We've moved the date. I think it's the first Sunday of December, the 5th of December. So we're going to do that. So the Bible says, bear one another's burdens. Let me tell you, if you would just circle the word burden in the text there, let me tell you what it means. Burdens are extra heavy loads, which here in this text represent difficulties or problems people have trying to deal with life. To bear something is to carry it with endurance. It has the idea of being patient as you bear one another's burdens. Don't give money and then walk away like there's nothing else required. Be patient and let the burden be, you know, bear it for a while. Stay with them, care about them, check on them, love them. Do what God leads you to do. This is every Christian's responsibility. If you're a Christian, you must bear one another's burdens to help carry a load or a burden that is too difficult to be carried by someone else. Verse 3, though, in the text, Galatians 6, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Now, what Paul is talking about, in other words, as believers we must first be sure that our lives are right with God before we offer spiritual help to others. So we are to bear one another's burdens. That means coming alongside, praying with them, pointing them back to Scripture, encouraging them. But if your life isn't right with God, you need to stop. Get right with God before you go and bear someone else's burden in that way, spiritually speaking. And then he says in verse 5, and this is where we're going to catapult us into the Acts 5 series. For each will have to bear his own load. For each will have to bear his own load. This is not a contradiction to verse 2. This burden or load doesn't carry the same implication of a difficulty that somebody is going through that they need help with. This is is referring to life's routine. This is referring to the everyday responsibility and load 
that God has put on Christians as they fulfill his calling. Paul is specifically telling the church in Galatia, as you are witnesses for Jesus Christ and are persecuted, that's the way it is. You've got to bear that yourself. In other words, when you're persecuted, you turn to Jesus for help. You don't turn to everybody else so that they'll have a pity party for the fact that you were persecuted, and then you'll walk away from persecution and never be persecuted again. No, you are living in the responsibility, in the burden, under the load of being witnesses for Jesus. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is the command. That is the calling. That is the direction that Jesus has given every believer to walk in. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Jesus ascended, he said this, he said, uh, I want you to wait in Jerusalem and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. The Great Commission is our calling and our direction. Acts 1.8, he now tells you the method, how you're going to be able to carry it out. It'll be the Holy Spirit who fills you as you're saved and then overflows you into the lives of others as you obediently follow Jesus' command. God will show up. You will not be alone. Where God guides, God provides. Trust Him in that. So as we move into Acts 5 now, go ahead and turn to Acts 5, we now see these Christian burdens and responsibilities on full display. These are examples of what Paul would later write about in his letter to the Galatians. Acts 5, that we're going to be in today just for a short time, we won't make it all the way through. Acts 5 uh, beautifully lays out three burdens that every believer should gladly practice, that every believer should gladly bear. Three burdens to bear, okay? Number one, we'll see it early in the text, the burden of pure worship. Purity in the life of the believer. Purity in the worship of God together. Secondly, the burden of sharing the gospel. Every believer is commanded to share the gospel. Thirdly, the burden of facing persecution. Not running from it, not hiding from it, facing persecution. Every believer is to carry the burden, the responsibility of facing persecution. What a blessing the book of Acts has been to our entire church family already as we've begun to practice fellowship. And today, if you came early, you know that back by the coffee, there is also food. Praise the Lord. We're returning, church. We're recovering. And everything is individually wrapped, so it's safe. But you can now come and you not only fellowship before service, but have some coffee and have a Danish or have a muffin, whatever your heart so desires. And then you're going to deny your flesh and allow the Spirit to help you receive the Word of God. Amen. Okay, so we allow you to get a little fleshly there for a moment. 
before we open the word. Verse, if we can, I want to just go ahead and begin here with this passage in chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Um, let's just keep reading. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Let's stop there if we can. What's happened is Ananias and Sapphira are following others who, because after the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people saved, since then, two more thousands, so now 5,000 plus have come into the church they instead of going back to their other uh, the country that they came from after uh, the feast of Pentecost, because they're saved, they can't go home. They're no longer practicing Judaism. The birth of the Christian church is in Jerusalem, so they stayed in Jerusalem. Now there's this number of people, immigrants, who've come in. There's not enough food. There's not enough shelter. They're staying in the homes of believers. It started out as 120. It grew to 3,000. They started working things out. Some who got saved on that day were from Jerusalem, but many were from other places, Jews who traveled for Pentecost. So now they're all here. They're, they're growing in the Lord. They're meeting together daily in the homes. The Lord's adding to their number daily. But what are they going to do about the real practical needs of food, clothing and cover to put them in a home and so some in the church began to sell off properties that they owned and submit that at the feet of the apostles so that it could be used however it would bless those who are now saved from other countries and so that's what has happened and now ananias and sapphira a couple by the way sapphira means beautiful so Ananias and Sapphira in the church see this happening, people laying at the apostles' feet the money from the sale of, pro of, of properties. And they chose to do the same, and they sold a piece of property. But when Ananias came and laid down the money, he didn't lay it all down. Now, from what Peter said to him, we're, we, we can understand it wasn't that it was wrong that he not give all the money of the property to the church. That's not the issue. It's that he communicated that he would give the church all the money from the sale. But what he laid down was only a portion of the money. So he lied. He was a hypocrite. And what you're going to see here as we read further is this is the beginning of the church and God starts his church with a loud, clear message. The message of the church is, I demand purity in worship. We will not build the church on hypocrisy. 
It will be built on holy living. It will be built on people who are absolutely, completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit and who are faithful to God and faithful to one another. They keep their words. They keep their promises. This is the only way that the church can impact the world. Jesus would say to his disciples long before this day when the church was actually a real thing, Jesus said that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I can promise you if the church was a church of hypocrisy, the gates of hell would prevail. Jesus was referring to the purity of the believers and of the fellowship. And so he goes further and he says in verse 5, uh, I'm sorry, he, he goes further and he says, yeah, in verse, where, where did I leave off? Was it five? When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. What words? That Peter said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You were a hypocrite, Ananias. This is in a church service and the man falls over dead. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Not just those who were in the service, but word traveled quick outside the church, among the Jews. What happened in the church service? And the young men rose and in the service after he falls over dead, they rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Which, by the way, was a common Old Testament practice. You didn't take time to prepare the body before death in the Old Testament when it was God who struck them dead. You just bury them. After an interval of about three hours, this is a long service. They didn't play around in the early church. They worship. His wife, Sapphira, comes in. I'm just putting two and two together. She's beautiful. It took her three hours to get all the makeup on, get the hair done, and get to church. I know that's an oversight. Not knowing what had happened. She didn't know what had happened to her husband. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. My, my. That's some church service. You don't play with purity. We live in a day when the church has lost her true identity. I believe that. Just look at the church today. It's all over the map. She has been taken over by those who want to give her a new identity. Look at us saying to the world, we believe the same as you about social justice. We're just like you when it comes to women being able to do whatever a man can do. You can hardly go to a movie or a show today where the woman is 
placed in the position of being the hero, and she can do whatever a man can do. Now, I, listen, ladies, before you get your little the hair on the back of your neck starts standing up, let me just tell you, biblically, that's not the truth. The role of a man, the role of women are different. There are things that a woman can do that a man cannot do. I recently read where some guy who now declares that he's a woman and he and his spouse got a child and he was trying to have the child breastfeed on him. And he said the child could attach, but no milk could come out. Seriously? You're just now figuring that out? This is a crazy upside-down world that we live in, church. The truth no longer matters, but I'm telling you, in the Word of God, it's clear and we need to abide by it. A woman cannot do what a man can do. A man cannot do what a woman can do. We should celebrate the differences. We don't need egalitarianism where everybody can do the same things. You can take the passage that Paul used out of context and say that there's no longer Jew nor slave nor free nor male nor female. He's talking about your position as a believer at the foot of the cross. In Christ, as a saved being, we're all equal. A man has no more ability, anointing than a woman. We're all equal. We all get the same thing, the same Holy Spirit. But when it comes to roles, the Bible's very clear. There's a role of a man and there's a role of a woman. And when we practice those things, something beautiful comes out of it. But we're living in a sexual revolution. And the sad thing is, the church is now trying their best to get this sexual revolution world to like them. So they start moving away from the role of man and woman. They start bending the rules and start adapting and adopting the ways of the world. That would never fly in the early church. If you were a hypocrite in the early church, if you said one thing and did another, you, you had the, the chance, you might just not make it out of the service that day. I can tell you after reading this, it was very quiet in here for a second. I thought, man, next week we're going to have a big offering. Praise God. No. We never talk offering. We just don't. We don't need to. That's between the person and God, and God moves hearts to give. We don't try to promote that. But I'm telling you right now, that's a serious moment in the life of the church. Do you see marketing going on here? Where we're trying to present ourselves in such a way that the world will like us? What, what would the world like in the fact that a couple were not totally honest and pure in their motives and God struck them dead in the church service? What is there to like in the world about that? We don't use marketing schemes. Bureau Bible, we've been here for three years. Friends, I'm going to tell you, we've never advertised. Zero advertisement. We, we wanted to. We, were going to. we came here three years ago, October. This was our, that was our first Sunday. We called it a soft launch. And so we came. And we said by December and January, we're going to do a hard launch where we'll actually advertise to the community. But let's take three months and really just be a fellowship and get 
familiar with the facility and how we do church here, get familiar. Then we'll do a hard launch. By the time we got to November, there was no room for anybody else. We said, why advertise? We wouldn't have any place to put them. That's the church. The church doesn't function the way the world functions. And here we see today that happening. I, I hate to tell you, but we're not supposed to dress the seed up, the Word of God. We're not supposed to share it in such a way that it doesn't, it doesn't you know, convict anybody. When Jesus gave the story of the, the, the uh, parable of the soils, he said, your job as a Christian is just to throw the seed. Just let the Word go. Just get it out there. And by the way, the statistics aren't real good. Jesus said, only one-fourth of the people who the seed reaches will come to me. Only one-fourth. So three out of every four people you share this, the Word of God with, they're not going to believe. And then Jesus said in, right at, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, or at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, He said, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He said, many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, do many miracles? And I will say to them, I never knew you. That is called the ultimate rejection. And then at the end of the sermon, he said, there's a way, a gate, that leads to destruction, and many will find it. There's a way, a gate, that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Jesus makes it very clear that most people will never come to God's terms of peace through Jesus Christ as Savior. But does that mean we shouldn't share? The opposite. We're to go to everybody and throw the seed. We don't worry about whether they receive or reject. That's not our business. That's the Lord's business. He's the one that saves them. Our role is simply to make sure every day that we bear the load, the responsibility of casting the seed. Reach in the seed bag, pull it out in your hand, I wish I had some little mustard seeds today. Pull it out, and I do this. And it goes everywhere. Some falls on thorns and thistles. Some falls on hard soil. Some falls where there's rocks right below the surface so that the seed can't take hold. Some will fall on fertile soil. My job, your job, the church's role is to be faithful to throw the seed, not massage, coerce, persuade, change, so that we can get more people to come to church. The goal is not church attendance. The goal is true salvation, which only comes through the true gospel being shared. This is what we, as elders, are committed to at Bureau Bible Fellowship. We're not interested in playing church games. So we need to discover and rediscover the true identity that God's given the church. See, what gave the church in Acts 5, what gave the church credibility with unbelievers was a purity in their worship of God. Look, if you will, at verse uh, 11, and this takes us to the second thing. The first thing is that we've got to be faithful, friends. We, you and I, we have to be faithful to God 
as we worship. Purity of worship. No hypocrisy. Give it up. Sell out. You have no ministry with others until you're living it yourself. Paul even said, look, if you, before you go helping somebody else, you need to check your own heart. Make sure you're right with God. Secondly, the burden of sharing the gospel. I'm going to stop after this one. I really wanted to get to point three, but we're not going to have time, and I really want to do it justice, so we'll come next week. Number two, the burden of sharing the gospel. The burden of purity and worship, and then the burden of sharing the gospel. Verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So what's happened? This church has an experience where people lied to the Holy Spirit and God took them out in the church service. Fear fell over the whole church. They are like, whoa. Man, I'm going to make sure that when I bring something before the Lord, I'm being totally truthful and honest about it. And then it spread outside the church. Those outside heard of these things. So the church, if you want to write this down, in chapter 4, verse 33 of Acts, the church was all about great grace and great power. But now we go from great grace and great power to chapter 5, verse 11, which is great fear. You can't have just the grace and the power of God without the fear of the Lord. Because if there's no fear, the grace and the power become manipulated, abused. God won't have that in His church. And so you got to have the great fear as well. Verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. That would have been an area in the courtyard of the temple that they would gather undercover, and the church would meet there while others are going into temple to practice Judaism and offer sacrifices. They were outside the temple in the courtyard worshiping Jesus as the great sacrificial lamb. Verse 13, none of the rest dared joined them, but the people held them in high esteem. So now nobody, people are afraid to come into the church because God don't mess around. I don't want no part of that until I'm ready to surrender to God. People held the early church in high esteem, but they didn't rush to join. Well, what will that get you? I guess the church is dead while it lives, because if people aren't going to join, I guess, why have church? Well, that's not what it says in verse 14, the next verse. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Early, it started out, it said 3,000, then it said 5,000. Now it says, we can't count how many, it's just multitudes. Why? Because people saw the purity of the Lord in the people of the church. They saw purity in worship. There is a reason why we don't use the pulpit to just celebrate anything. Why we don't use the pulpit just to talk about college football the day before. This is a place of purity. This is a place for the worship of God. There's a time for everything. This is not the time when the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to hearts. So here's what you have. You have a church that is set back, spiritually speaking, sobered up by two dying on the spot, in the service, 
we're lying to the Holy Spirit. Great fear comes over the church. Word gets out to the community, those who don't know the Lord. And many of them are going, I ain't going anywhere around there. You know why they said that? Because they were still living in sins. They still had hypocrisy. But there were others in the community who had been searching for truth. And they saw the one true and living God working in the midst of people who had pure hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. And they said, we want that. And they came to the church in droves. Multitudes, men and women, coming to the Lord on His terms of peace and being saved. Is that not a beautiful picture? That is what should be happening in our community with every church that we are so serious. We, we take the responsibility, the burden of the calling of God so serious to worship Him in purity, to share the gospel with others, that it is a direct turnoff to those who still want to play in the world. It is a turn on to those who are fed up with the world and they're looking for true answers. Don't ever think that somebody doesn't deserve to hear the gospel when you see them or meet them. You don't know whether they're going to be the one or the three. That's why Jesus didn't say the sower should study the soil and make sure you only throw the, the seed on the fertile soil. Jesus didn't say, well, you're the sower, so how you dress, how you talk to them, how you present yourself makes the difference whether they'll receive the seed or not. He said this about the sower. That's why I don't think it's a, I hate that it's called the parable of the sower. He says one thing about the sower. The rest of it's about the soils that the seed falls in. But here's what he says about the sower. You be faithful to broadcast the seed. Those of us who have a lawn and who know what it is to work in the, on the lawn probably have a fertilizer spreader. I have one. I put my seed, the fertilizer, or if it's a grass seed, whatever you're putting, you put it inside the, the spreader, and then you walk behind holding the trigger, and depending on the setting, the level, it spreads the seed over everything. That's the picture. You have a seed bag. You have the Word of God. You're in the Word of God. What's the, what's the will of God? People ask me, what's the will of God for my life, Pastor Greg? I can't figure it out. The will of God is to obey the Word. That's the will of God. If you're getting up every day and you're going out and you are not in the Word of God, then that day you will not fulfill the will of God. Because you've got to know the Word of God to fulfill the will of God. The will of God for each and every one of us is to reach into the seed bag, bring out the Word of God that we've been studying, and just, just do this. And know that some will be repulsed by it. Others will mock you and laugh at you. And amongst all that, there will be some that seed will fall on 
And something happens in their heart as the Holy Spirit begins to turn the lights on. And they see the truth for the first time. That Jesus Christ, who is God, in the beginning, as Adam and Eve committed sin in the garden, God the Father saw Jesus Christ the Son dying on the cross. Even at that moment, he already had the plan. And he also not only saw Adam and Eve's sin, Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of Adam and Eve and all people who follow after them. Listen, he also sees the people in the world who will receive the word of God and be saved. Our Father sees the whole thing at the same time. We don't. That's why it's our, our role not to figure it all out. You're not God. Just do what he said. Every day. And let the Lord do the rest. Let's pray. Father, we can't even make it through this whole chapter. There's so much here for us in early in the chapter. We're praying that, God, you would now take what we've learned from the word this morning and these scriptures that you have given us both in Galatians 6 and here in Acts 5. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would now begin to transform us. What we are looking for, God, and what we're opening ourselves to is that Holy Spirit that comes upon us, that overflows us. We know he's already in us because we're saved, but now May he overflow us and reach the hearts of others. Oh, how we want to see people come to Jesus in Indian River County. Lord, may we be like our brothers and sisters around the globe. May we do our part to lift up the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus, you said, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. We just want to agree and join you in that work. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You know, I got to thinking, maybe it was one of the passages that the parents presented for their child that touched your heart today. Who knows how the Lord used the, the word today, but let the word do its work in you, and then let it flow out of you into the lives of others. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week, and, uh, and get ready. Thanksgiving's coming. We've got a Big celebration that we're going to have with the boys from Teen Challenge. And then in December, a big church family uh, potluck dinner. God bless.